You're listening to Token Talks, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I'm your host, Zach DeWitt. At this point in this ecosystem's development, I think that drawing hard lines between who your competitors are and who your cooperators are is just like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We don't really tend to frame our place in this ecosystem in like very competitive terms. Um, we try much more to think of ways in which we could work with projects that are trying to tackle similar problems. At the end of the day, we, we're all philosophically aligned. And I think also from a business incentive standpoint, we're probably also aligned as well. Today, we are joined by Nadav Hollander, the CEO and founder of Dharma. Dharma is a permissionless generic protocol for issuing, underwriting, and administering debt agreements as tradable cryptographic tokens. In the legacy financial system, equity is a much smaller asset class than debt. The total value of global equity hovers at around $73 trillion, a relatively modest sum in comparison to the $213 trillion in global debt assets. The mania around token sales has demonstrated that tokens are useful for representing assets with both utility value and equity-like properties. The natural next step is to port the world's loans, bonds, and debt instruments into an openly tradable, permissionless tokens. With that said, and fresh out of Y Combinator, Dharma is building a common, secure infrastructure layer on top of which lending applications of any type can be easily built and monetized. Dharma does not currently have a token, but is certainly worth following. Okay, welcome to Token Talks. Please introduce yourself. Hey guys, my name is Nadav Hollander. Uh, I am the founder and CEO of Dharma Labs. Uh, at Dharma, we're building Dharma Protocol, which is a generic protocol for tokenized debt agreements. Uh, and so I'm excited to talk with Zach a little bit about uh, Dharma and what we're working on, uh, as well as just like the implications of tokenized debt as a financial primitive in the decentralized financial stack. Great. And what was the blockchain ecosystem like while you were an undergrad at Stanford? So, yeah, as, as Zach alluded to, I, I graduated from Stanford a, a approximately a year ago. And uh, when I got into kind of the, the world of crypto, it was, was around like early or like fall of 2015 or so. There was this class at Stanford called Bitcoin and Cryptocurrencies that uh, Dan Bonet and Joe Bonneau taught with like a follow-on lab taught by Balaji Srinivasan. And, uh, you know, I kind of took it on a whim because uh, I remembered hearing in like a speech that Eric Schmidt gave that, you know, this is back in the day when people would say like, oh, Bitcoin is like interesting, but like like blockchain is like much more interesting. It was like the blockchain, but not Bitcoin sort of days. Um, and so I remembered like hearing kind of something about that and decided on a whim to kind of just take this class. Um, and I just like totally fell in love with the space. And, you know, it's interesting, like Stanford being like such a like powerhouse of a school in terms of computer science um there was not like a very like big uh like blockchain community per se uh back when i started getting into this stuff like there was a there was a stanford bitcoin club um but it always kind of had like a pretty low membership and you know it didn't there wasn't like a this kind of like the sort of like animating momentum that you kind of see right now on campus. Now, I think that that's changed considerably, um, especially just given the way the whole space has expanded. And so I know there's some like awesome students at Stanford right now that are, you know, like hosting tons of awesome events and really kind of rallying a community together. Um, but at the time, it used to be pretty small. So 
So after taking that class, what made you decide to drop everything and get into crypto? You know, how did you think about um, the job market and uh, traditional jobs versus, versus crypto roles? Sure. So I think what, what got me really excited about um, the crypto ecosystem was that like, there's something exciting about a technology that like fundamentally changes like your assumptions about what you can and can't do, right? And it, it felt like everything else that was going on in terms of like the hot technological trends was all kind of like incremental in a sense. It was like, okay, let's take this Web 2.0 platforms that we have and Web 2.0 experiences that we have and try to apply them to like X industry. And that was just kind of like the the modus operandi of the st- the startup world, it seemed like. And what I found so exciting about like Bitcoin was that it was just like this fundamental paradigm shift. It was like, yeah, there's a lot about it that like wasn't fully figured out. Like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of scalability issues. Like, yeah, it wasn't totally clear what the exact use case was at the time. Like all of these things were super murky and ambiguous, but all of a sudden you had something that you could do, which was like, you know, like immutably transfer value anywhere in the world in like 10 minutes without any sort of centralized intermediary. Like that's just a really cool concept. Um, and so I just knew that I wanted to kind of work on like the edge of the fractal graph in a sense. And fast forwarding to today, what is Dharma and what are the problems you're solving? So Dharma is a generic protocol for tokenized debt agreements. Um, and so essentially like there's for a long time now, people have talked about blockchains being like an enabler of virtu- like various financial services, right? Um, if you even read like the Ethereum white paper, there's like allusions to the notion of like debt registries and, you know, creating various types of debt agreements on blockchains. And, you know, I, I really do think that eventually like um, a whole suite of different technologies built on top of blockchains will come together to form financial services that will be fundamentally like as accessible and easy to use on a global basis as something like a Facebook or any of the kind of like Web 2.0 products that we know today. But right now we're kind of in the phase of just building like the low level kind of technologies and protocols and building blocks to actually enable that. And one of those building blocks um, is essentially just like credit and just generally like having a way of representing debts on blockchains uh, in a way such that like a debt agreement can be entirely administered without there having to be any sort of intermediary between a debtor and a creditor. Um, And so essentially that's kind of the problem that we're solving is we're trying to build the kind of universal framework for issuing any sort of debt agreement on a blockchain using a smart contract. Um, And if you'd like, I can kind of dive into more of the specifics of, you know, like where why, why does a blockchain make sense for this problem specifically? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Essentially, there's, there's kind of two, I'd, I'd kind of class the benefits of using a blockchain to uh, administer a debt agreement. Uh, I, I'd class the benefits of it into kind of two large categories. One um, is essentially tokenization. This isn't really a benefit that, um, at least on the first order, accrues to the borrower. It's actually much more beneficial to the creditor. Um, and that's that essentially anytime you engage in a debt agreement in Dharma Protocol, um, you're basically like minting a non-fungible token that represents that loan. Uh, And so if I were to say, you know, lend like 100 Ether to Zach right now uh, using Dharma, then like a token representing my ownership in that loan would be created that's, you know, just as tradable or upgradable or programmable as any other sort of uh, digital token that we see in the crypto ecosystem today. And so the benefit there is that all of a sudden, 
secondary market liquidity around different types of uh, debt contracts becomes like much, much easier to service, right? Um, because you kind of get all the sorts of efficiencies that you see with like, you know, ERC-20 tokens and the whole just robust ecosystem of exchanges and wallets and, and applications that have cropped up around them. Um, suddenly you get that to apply that to essentially debt capital markets. Um, and so I think that represents like an order of magnitude kind of increase in efficiency in the way that those debt capital markets can operate. Now, the, the second kind of class of benefits, I'd say, would be essentially this idea of having a common programmatic interface for um, interacting with debts on a blockchain. And so what does that mean? Basically, like any, any smart contract that is used to represent a debt agreement in Dharma Protocol exposes like these programmatic hooks that can be used to like determine at any given time whether or not uh, a loan has entered a state of default or you know what the parameters of that loan are, et cetera. And the reason why it's important to have this kind of common interface is because it makes it a lot easier to kind of layer functionality on top of uh, uh, debt agreements uh, in like a generic manner. And so that functionality could be something like a collateralization contract. So I can take essentially lend money to Zach and have Zach put up a certain number of tokens as collateral in a collateral contract. And that collateral contract will kind of talk to these programmatic hooks exposed by the Dharma debt agreement uh, and release the collateral if Zach doesn't pay me back, right? Or you can extend this even further. You can create insurance contracts on top of Dharma debt agreements in which essentially like somebody can underwrite an insurance agreement that will trustlessly pay me out if uh, the debt agreement that I've invested in has defaulted and so on and so forth. And so the idea here is that like you can kind of think of it as like there's a lot of Lego pieces that are going to come together uh, in order to form like the decentralized financial stack. Um, and they all kind of need to talk to each other in like a standardized manner. And so what we're trying to do is kind of fill that hole, but for the world of debt agreements on chain. Yeah, so maybe you can elaborate on that. There's a lot of pieces here. So you could talk about how Dharma fits into the ecosystem. You have building on top of ZRRX. You have Ethereum blockchain. Um, you have application layers, which will be built on top of Dharma. How, how, how does Dharma connect all the pieces? Right. And so I, I think like there's, there's a couple ways of thinking about this. So, so first of all, like there's a lot of in people who are working on interesting kind of financial primitives. Um, that will eventually come together to kind of form the backbone of various financial services. Um, and so to give some examples, first of all, there's um, the, the ZeroX ecosystem has been very interesting. ZeroX are, is building a protocol for kind of trustless uh, swapping of different assets. Um, there is DYDX, um, which is working on essentially a, a protocol for creating various types of derivatives. Um, there's SET protocol, which is working on creating essentially baskets of tokens. Um, and I can go on because there's a, there's a whole class of these. And I think that the, the, the kind of the tip of the spear for these primitives is going to be the world of decentralized exchange. Um, because essentially that's, that's kind of the, the main place right now where you see like a burning need for these technologies where it's like, okay, we have proven out already that consumers like decentralized exchanges, that there is a need for this out in the market, that there's kind of like this like substantial growth that's happening there. But there's so many like financial services that uh, revolve around exchanges in general, like for instance, margin trading or 
um, you know, of the various suites of like derivatives and options and what have you um, that don't have their analogs yet in a decentralized context. Um, and so I think like the tip of the spear for all of these sort of financial primitives and the way they'll initially first come together will be around the world of decentralized exchanges. But I think that as time goes on uh, and as it becomes more and more palatable to consumers to take on credit or any sort of sort of like financial service uh, in the context of a blockchain, um, you'll kind of start to see these different services, you know, in, in various like combinations uh, forming the backbone of things like trustless savings accounts and kind of like collective credit schemes and, and all sorts of more clever uh, financial services that we probably don't even have analogs for in the traditional world right now. In your blogs, you talk a lot about the various types of non-blockchain debt instruments. So muni bonds, receivables, factoring, sovereign bonds. You also talk about Dharma being a generic protocol. Does that mean that ultimately down the road, Dharma will be able to support all different types of debt instruments? So that's a hope, right? I mean, uh, essentially, like the way we've tried to design it is that like, so, okay, I think, I think there's, an anal- there's an analogy here to be made to the approach that Ethereum took to uh, uh, essentially building a blockchain, uh, where if you look at kind of the, the many blockchains that came between Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, a lot of people essentially recognize that, hey, blockchains are d- good for doing a lot of interesting stuff. Um, so why don't we make a blockchain that has, you know, a ability to issue crowd sales or a blockchain that has a prediction market baked into it or a blockchain that has a DNS system baked into it or whatever. And what was interesting about what Ethereum did is that they said, okay, we're going to actually create a platform instead. And we're going to create a Turing complete scripting language. And we're going to make it easy for people to essentially layer whatever functionality they want on top of that blockchain. And I think this is a similar approach to what we're trying to do with debt right now, right? Where a lot of people have recognized that like, okay, there is going to be some standard for uh, creating debt agreements on blockchains. So, you know, let's create the protocol for micro lending or let's create the protocol for margin lending or let's create the protocol for, you know, like corporate debt issuance or what have you. Um, And I think that like, especially with something like a token standard or a standard for like representing value, it's like really important that you get all players at the table coalesced around the same standard. Because, you know, if we skip out like five years to the future or something like that, like all of the world's tokenized debts are going to get traded on the same DEXs and the same exchanges, um, are going to be stored in the same wallets, are going to, you know, like interact with the same insurance contracts, with the same collateralization contracts, etc., and so it's really important to kind of have a generic standard that's all encompassing. And so, so to sum it up, kind of we're trying to take the Ethereum approach uh, and build a platform for debt issuance as opposed to a kind of proprietary stack for individual types of, of debt. Uh, it's certainly a very powerful and robust approach. Um, what, what, what are some types of applications you envision being built on top of the Dharma protocol? So, yeah, I think there's... Uh, like uh, I can give you kind of the the short term answer and the long term answer, right? Perfect. Um, so the short term answer is like I, I imagine most of the applications will will generally hover around like speculative use cases, right? Because that's realistically speaking, that's where most value is being generated right now in the in the crypto ecosystem. Um, and so that that looks like things like you know basic margin debt agreements or um, you know like borrowing for for shorting purposes. And, and so I think a lot of like kind of like the early use cases will be very, very crypto native. Like I want to, 
tap into the value of my crypto kitty. And so I'm going to put it up for collateral in a trustless contract and crowdfund a bunch of Ether in order to essentially have some sort of liquid cash from there. So it's literally kind of like the equivalent of refinancing your house, only your house is <laughs> a, a you know androgynous digital cat. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's I think a lot of the, the early use cases are a lot kind of more esoteric and just related to just the, the kind of crypto, like just solving like small problems in the crypto sure. ecosystem right now. But in the longer term, I think that some of the applications that I'm really excited to see get built on top of Dharma will be things like essentially trustless savings accounts. Um, and so you can you can essentially construct a pretty interesting scheme where uh, you have a savings account that is entirely administered by a smart contract um, and that automatically invests in debt agreements of a certain risk profile uh, on your behalf. And, and, you know, these are things that are like for many reasons, probably not that feasible right now. Um, but I don't think we're very far from the world in which that's actually possible. Um, and so I'm really excited to kind of see the ways in which people take uh essentially generic tokenized debt agreements and use them to create novel financial services um, that are, you know, orders of magnitude cheaper and more accessible than their kind of analog counterparts. Yeah, reading through your white paper, you've obviously put a lot of thought into all the components of the Dharma protocol. Maybe this would be a good opportunity just to walk me through a very simple sample transaction on Dharma. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm glad you asked that. So there's there's a couple of players that are worth uh, kind of like uh, highlighting before we kind of go into that. So there's in, in Dharma Protocol, there's this notion of what are called underwriters and relayers. Um, and so what what a underwriter is, it's kind of what exactly what it sounds like. It's it's it pretty much means the exact same thing as what an underwriter is in kind of the traditional financial system. It's somebody who basically like stakes their reputation in some capacity uh, on uh, kind of someone's creditworthiness. So they'll say. So if, if Zach right now wants to take out a loan, uh, he's going to approach a underwriter. That underwriter is going to you know do whatever juju magic they have to evaluate Zach's creditworthiness, um, and they're going to cryptographically sign a statement that says, "I believe that Zach has a X percent chance of defaulting on a loan of of Y size." And so that's kind of the underwriter's role, and and the idea is that they will get. Um, once the loan is actually filled and, and Zach has his money, they're going to get a certain fee for having uh, essentially underwritten that loan. And, and the incentive here for them to, to underwrite that correctly um, is that their prediction is, is kind of permanently recorded on the blockchain in a way that if they're doing a really good job of evaluating different, different debtors, um, then empirically on chain, you're going to be able to see like, oh, all of the debtors that underwriter A has uh, vouched for have actually repaid their loans at a rate similar to that which the underwriter predicted. Um, so that's the basic idea of the the sort of underwriter mechanism. Now, the second kind of uh, uh, party that's really worth walking into is this notion of, of relayers. And so what a relayer does um, is their job is basically to connect a debtor to a creditor. So to basically to find somebody who actually wants to invest in your loan. Um, and so what that actually looks like is that um, the debtor has like basically signed this message saying, I want to borrow this much money. And anybody who has that message can now essentially submit that to the Dharma smart contracts and birth this debt agreement. Um, and so what the relayers do is that a relayer essentially hosts uh, a, a order book, basically. So for those of you who are familiar with the 0x protocol, this is, this is highly inspired by, by the scheme that they have for relayers. Uh, and so essentially, this relayer will, 
will post the the debtor's loan request on their actual website um, for a sort of fee, and like that will be kind of the main waypoint by which uh, different creditors find uh, loans to invest in. Um, and so all of this kind of comes together to essentially uh, like have a debtor generate some sort of loan request. Uh, that loan request gets underwritten by some sort of underwriter. And then essentially that gets posted onto uh, a relayer's order book where a creditor eventually invests in it. And I know we've talked about this, but how does Dharma make money in all this? So right now we don't really have any sort of explicit value capture model. Um, and I think that our philosophy here is to basically, we think that what we're building is kind of inevitably going to exist in this ecosystem uh, and will inevitably be some sort of like crucial piece of infrastructure um, and is going to generate a lot of value. And at some point in the stack, whether that's like at the protocol layer or at some higher application layer, we hope to eventually capture value in some capacity. And we have a lot of ideas as to how we want to do that. Um, but I think the approach that we've taken right now is to kind of say, okay, you know, we don't know exactly what the best way is for us to capture value. We don't know um, whether a token makes sense. We don't, we don't know whether... Um, you know, being some sort of value-added service provider or some sort of kind of consulting entity is the best approach. Um, it's not really clear, right? Um, but we'd rather just kind of build something of value right now, build a community around it, um, and then at some point in the future, find the point in the stack in which we want to capture value. So who are some of your competitors here? Certainly there's companies that are doing uh, crypto loans. Are there other companies that are trying to create a debt protocol? How do you think about your competitive set? So it's it's a it's kind of a interesting thing for us to navigate, right? Because on one hand, there's definitely a, a set of projects that, in some way, shape, or form, are like tackling the same problem that we're tackling, which is you know uh, there are products that are building fiat collateralized crypto loans. So these are things like salt lending or uh, or BlockFi. There are um, protocols that are trying to essentially tackle the issue of margin lending, like, uh, for instance, Lendroid. Um, there are, you know, products that are just g generally trying to do some sort of like, you know, user friendly on chain collateralized loans, things like ETHLend. And so, you know, like on, on one hand, I could look at all of those and say, like, those are our competitors. Like we're trying to outpace them. We're trying to like build a better product and infrastructure than them. Um, but also like all of those companies could potentially be our customers, right? They could potentially be people who build on top of Dharma protocol. Uh, in fact, that's probably a lot more in our interest to have them build on top of Dharma if we want Dharma to kind of be this like uh, all-encompassing uh, canonical uh, interface for, for different debt agreements. You know, it's, it's like at this point in this ecosystem's development, I think that drawing hard lines between who your competitors are and who your cooperators are is just like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, and so we don't really tend to think like frame our, our place in this ecosystem in like very competitive terms. Um, we try much more to think of ways in which we could work with, uh, with projects that are trying to tackle similar problems uh, as we are, because I think at the end of the day, we we're all philosophically aligned. And I think also from a business incentive standpoint, we're probably also aligned as well. So fast forward to 2025, what is different about the debt markets than today? So, okay, that's a fun question. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so I think that 
when when the internet kind of came around, almost like every sort of like service and good that we interacted with in the economy um, was like radically transformed and became like much more accessible and borderless, right? So so think about content because I think content is like the best example. Um, whereas content used to be like highly geographically constrained and very much like. Um, kind of coupled with your locale, i.e., you know, like you would get your local newspaper, you would get um, whatever radio stations played in your town, you get whatever TV channels were available, etc. All of a sudden, the internet came around, and like you know, notions of borders and notions of geography and locale just kind of got erased, right? But the one industry in which that didn't really happen was the financial services industry, uh, where you know, it's not you couldn't be a villager in Karnataka and in India and go on to lendingclub.com and take out a loan, right? Um, like these things are still, still became very highly correlated with where you kind of lived in the world. Um, and so to answer your question, I think when you, when you zoom into 2025, the kind of the radical shift that will happen in debt markets and just financial services in general um, is that they will have a lot of the same sort of global accessibility and convenience that we've come to know in other Web 2.0 services but they'll have that same sort of look and feel and uh, and global accessibility, um, but for things like loans, savings, uh, and just general financial services. How can our listeners follow the progress of Dharma? So I would recommend following our blog. Uh, our head of growth ops, Brendan, uh, does a great job of, of pumping out weekly updates uh, to keep uh, our community abreast of our progress. Uh, I would follow us on Twitter. And uh, I would fall. Yeah, I think uh, that's that's those are our kind of our two main broadcast points uh, at this point in time. We have a Reddit too. Our subreddit is great. Um, there's a nice growing community there. And you should join our Telegram channel because uh, there's a lot of great conversations going on there. Um, and I think that given that we're not doing a token sale, we've kind of attracted a, a community of people who actually are interested in the problem that we're trying to solve and not just kind of. Uh, you know, sharing price memes and things like that. Um, so uh, we'd love to get to know you guys and answer some of you guys' questions. Great. So looking at the crypto space today, what are some of the other projects that you're personally most excited about? Oh, man. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in, in the privacy space. Uh, so everything related to kind of like ZK Snarks and uh, I just think ZK Snarks are like a really exciting technology that has like a lot of huge, huge implications. Um, and seeing it out in production and things like Zcash is just super, super exciting for me. Yeah. So first of all, I would say just the whole privacy coin world is really exciting. I think that of the kind of uh, people who are in the decentralized financial primitive space, uh, I've, I've mentioned them before already, but uh, I'm a big fan of what Antonio is doing at DYDX. Uh, I take a huge, huge dose of inspiration from the Zero X team on just both like technical architecture and just their general approach and philosophy to, to development. Um, and so I'm a really big fan of what they've been doing. I'm also very interested in like in this this kind of emerging field called token curated registries. And so it's it's like an interesting model for a, for a token that I actually think makes a lot more sense than than most ones we see nowadays, which is essentially using uh, a token to come to consensus around like, you know, just a list of values or an ordering of a list of values, which sounds so simple and silly, but um, it actually turns out to be very useful because like for a lot of reasons, sometimes uh, and on a blockchain, you need to have consensus about like, say, uh, some list of values. So for example, um, let's just say you were trying to build like a, a basket 
of the top 10 coins weighted by market cap, right? And you wanted to do it in some sort of clever trustless way, right? You'd basically need some sort of registry on chain or some sort of uh, canonical source of truth on chain that told you like what is the top 10 coins weighted by market cap. You need some way of coming to consensus about that. And a token curated registry is a really interesting mechanism for essentially incentivizing people to to like essentially vote on what that actual outcome is and tell the blockchain what that truth is. Um, and so I'm really excited about TCRs. Uh, let's see. And also just a lot of kind of like straight protocol layer developments. And so uh, I'm really excited about what uh, the Ethereum Foundation is working on in terms of sharding. Um, I'm really excited about Plasma. I'm excited about Definity and a lot of the kind of new consensus mechanisms that are emerging. Um, and so it's it's really just like, it's such an unbelievably fast space. It's so hard to keep track of everything because there's just like, the pace of an innovation is like seriously blinding. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure there's like eight different things that I'm, that I'm not remembering right now. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say those are generally the areas I'm most excited about. And what mix of crypto assets do you own personally? So I'm actually like, I have a very vanilla portfolio. Um, uh, I have basically just like Ether and Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> uh, I actually like if, if I had more time, I'd probably invest more broadly. I just don't have like a lot of time to have like a very active portfolio. Um, so there's like certainly other coins that I'm bullish on as well. Uh, I'm really bullish on Augur Rep, for instance. But uh, yeah, like it's it's my portfolio is boring. <laughs> so it could be debt related or non-debt related, but what are some of the important ideas that people are coalescing around or people are working on? So maybe it could be you know related to Dharma, some important insights or themes you're observing that other people may not be seeing yet because you're in the front lines. Interesting. So I think that People, I don't know how obvious it is from the outside how much institutional interest there is in this field right now. Like there is seriously kind of this this tidal wave of money that like wants to get into the crypto space um, and just like fundamentally just doesn't have the logistical ability to do so, um, both from a regulatory standpoint and from like literally like a custody standpoint. And so it's it's like fascinating that we've kind of crossed this chasm now where like like we have had many meetings with institutional investors that you would recognize their names and you would know who they are. And they are very literate in things like what a decentralized exchange is. Like they know what this stuff is now, um, which is crazy to like that. Would, I would never imagine saying that sentence like a year ago. And so I think what people don't realize is that like this, this is like happening, right? It's just a question like, uh, like right now we're like, I'd say, the the theme of 2018 is like okay we need to like figure out the thorny problems like now it's like there is customer demand from like serious players with like serious volume and now we need to figure out like how do you do like compliant securities tokens like how do you do um you know custody for these large institutions like they don't have like there's like bare, there's a handful of custody providers right now for crypto assets um, and there need to be like literally thousands for a robust financial system to exist around this stuff. So so 2018 is going to be like a, a sort of like it's like the adolescent. It's like we need to like get past the adolescent phase of like cryptocurrency right now. It's like this is this is the year in which we like kind of like put on our big boy pants and kind of try to become adults. And that brings us to our final question. The crypto market is $415 billion today in market valuation. What valuation do you think will end 2018? 
Oh God, uh, I I don't <laughs> so I don't I don't want to give like a cop out answer here. Like you can give a range or you can give yeah a- yeah. I mean like uh, is question. Uh, can I give you higher or lower? How yeah. about that? Yeah, give me yeah. that. Yeah, that works. Um, oh man, um, I think higher. I think higher, but I don't. I I, I would say strong opinion loosely held. Um, <laughs> the reason being that like it, it seems like like we're not. The so-called trough that we were in, or the so-called correction, didn't really seem to be much of a correction, actually. Um, and it still feels like we're overdue for like the sort of violent correction that we saw in 2014. Like, I, I still think people are a little bit drunk on on blockchain right now, and so it just it, it, it honestly, and this is mind you, a completely emotional spiritual argument right now. Like, there's there's no there's no rational science behind this right now. So don't don't make investment decisions based off of what I'm saying right now. But but it just largely feels like we're overdue for like a serious correction, given like the cyclical way these sorts of markets work. And by serious, I mean like blockchain isn't cool anymore. <laughs> like the price corrected like uh, you know a few months ago, but nothing changed in terms of like the flood of talent coming into the crypto space. Um, I think I think we're overdue for a trough in which like uh, that that is no longer the case. Yeah, what do you see in terms of flow, uh, inflow of talent? I mean, you you went to Stanford. You're at the you're you're in San Francisco. You're at the epicenter of a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you find that more people from Stanford reaching out to you? How do I get into this? What are some good projects? Is do you have people leaving Facebook and Airbnb and Uber to 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 do this? What do you, what do yeah, you see? Yeah, I mean, in terms it's wild. Demand? It's wild. It's absolutely wild. I mean, like uh, in both the technical sphere uh, and also just like uh, in the operational and kind of more product sphere. Um, you know, the other day, uh, we were, we were kind of thinking about, uh, about hiring a designer. Right. And so I was looking through, through dribble, which is the, the kind of, it's like LinkedIn for designers basically. Um, and like every third design on the like homepage is some sort of like wallet or like decentralized app or something like that. And so it, it feels like just like everybody kind of sees the writing on the walls and is like, okay, like this is the next wave. Like this is what we need to get into. Um, and so there's like really like an, an incredible influx of talent coming in. Anything else you want to talk about or cover? So yeah, uh, if uh, assuming that progress continues uh, at the pace that we expect it to, uh, then by the time that you listeners will be hearing this podcast, uh, we will be live on the Ethereum mainnet. Um, and so uh, we'd love to have you kind of you know play around with uh, the basic application that we've built on top of Dharma called Plex, uh, and give us your free your feedback. Um, if you're a developer, uh, we have developer libraries and kind of documentation around that for building your own decentralized credit applications on top of Dharma. Uh, and we have lots of cool ideas for things that we'd like to see be built. Um, and so if you're interested in any and all of the above, um, head to our website, join our Telegram, reach out to us there, and we'd love to kind of uh, help you through the process of building something on top of Dharma or playing with uh, with uh, Plex or whatever. And so, so yeah, you know, we'd love to see you in ye old Telegram channel. Perfect. Well, that was that was great. Pleasure having you on today. All right. Thank you guys so much. The key takeaways from today's episodes are one, the non-blockchain debt market is massive with over 200 trillion of global debt assets. Two, we're in the infrastructure build out stage of a new asset class and the standard protocols that will be adopted by many are being constructed today with Dharma leading the way in defining a debt protocol. Three, Dharma is not an end-user lending application, 
but rather a suite of smart contracts, standards, and protocols that make it easy for anyone in the world to build and monetize diverse lending applications that leverage tokenized debt agreements. And four, Dharma does not believe that a native token adds value to the Dharma network today. And given the constraints the team faces at this stage in its life cycle, they've concluded that a token sale today would do more harm than good to the Dharma community. Instead, the team has focused their time and energy to nurture a builder-driven community. However, they're not ruling out a native token sale in the future. Thank you for listening to the show. We're trying to make the crypto ecosystem more mainstream and welcoming. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a five-star review in iTunes and share this with one person you know who is trying to learn more about crypto technology. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc.